my name is uh, Dave Kalak. Uh, I was born in 1981. Makes me 41 years old right now. Um, I grew up in, in Kitsap County in uh, Washington State. And uh, I, my childhood was pretty good for the most part. I had a, a, you know, a loving mother, a loving father. I had two younger brothers, and uh, we all got along pretty well uh, for the most part. Um, things didn't even start going downhill until I started drinking and, and, and doing drugs when I was about uh, 16, 17 years old. And, uh, you know, from there, it was in and out of drugs and, and in and out of drinking real heavy. And uh, I even had a period there where I was sober for about five years. But right before my crime, um, which was, you know, first degree murder, I, uh, I stayed drunk for, oh, man, it must have been eight months straight. Uh, nothing but, you know, vodka and, uh, and ice house every day. And I was drinking about a half gallon of it every day. Um, still not even sure to this day how I managed to hold down a job, but <laughs> I did. Active and addiction. then, uh, of course, all that led up to, to me, um, killing my girlfriend. Uh, yeah, not, not 100% sure exactly how we got down that road. Uh, we never, we never really argued like that, never really got physical or anything, so... That one night, uh, the majority of what I can tell you is, is what I learned at trial. So, like, what all do you, like, remember of it? Just, like... Well, there's there's bits and pieces, you know, that, that, that I can remember and stuff that I can't remember. Um, and even not, not even just, you know, of, of the crime itself, but, like, leading up to the crime. Like, I can... I, I, I was painting houses. Uh, multi-million dollar houses out on, on Beaverage Island with a crew of guys. And uh, I honestly couldn't even tell you what the last house looked like that we were painting. Uh, and that would have been right up until, like, the day that this, this crazy stuff happened. Um, but, so, so okay, what I do remember, what I do remember is... Uh, I know I started my day with a screwdriver because I always do, uh, and that'll that'll you know get rid of the shakes and, and make it so that I can go to work. Um, I don't remember any of, of what I actually did during that day uh, at work. Uh, I vaguely remember getting home. Uh, I know I know we had to stop by a convenience store on the way home because I got an eighteen pack of ice house. And I was drinking that while I was waiting to go to the grocery store to grab another half gallon of vodka. Um, and I don't remember buying, but I know that I know that I had because I knew we were drinking that night. Uh, and after that, I uh, I don't remember Amber coming home. Uh, I don't remember us getting into any kind of an argument. Um, I have little little bits and pieces of like flashes of memories that, that, that don't make any sense because they feel like they're out of sequence with other stuff. Uh, I, I remember like a flash of having my, my hands around her neck, right? Mm -hmm. But I don't remember the act of actually strangling anybody. So it, it's weird for me to look back on, on something like that. It's weird for me to, to see that. Uh, the, the blackouts 
are a crazy thing, man, because I've heard from a lot of people that, you know, oh, memories are supposed to trickle back over time and, and this and that, and, and nothing's ever changed. Uh, uh, a good portion of that night is just completely blank to me. Like, uh, I, I remember, uh, I remember being in a bar in Portland, uh, joking around with somebody, uh, and that was, of course, later that night. Uh, I, I don't remember taking her car. I don't remember driving down there. Um, uh, I don't remember who I was talking to at the bar. I just know I was down there at a bar. Uh, and I think it might have been later that night. It might have been the next night. I'm, I'm not solid on this either, but I, I know that I ran from the cops. That was clearly in the news, and, and it was you know brought up during trial and all that, but uh, I do remember sitting behind the wheel with you know red, red and blue lights flashing behind me. Uh, I, I, I don't really remember the, the chase, but I do remember the scene, you know? So it's, it's, it's kind of weird, man. It's all kind of broke up. And then, of course, I remember uh, turning myself in, uh, like kind of coming to out of a blackout as I'm trudging through this field. Uh, and I kind of came out of it, and I'm, I'm looking around. I'm like, I have no idea where I'm at. I have no idea what's going on. I just got this really, really bad feeling. And uh, I see the cop. At, at a transit station, and I walked up to him, and I said, hey, look, man, uh, I was like, I got a really bad feeling that you guys are looking for me. And uh, as soon as he ran my name and found out who I was, the guy was so nervous, he, he handcuffed me around my backpack. Like, if you ever tried to put your arms around behind you, around a backpack, it doesn't work very well, but he was more nervous than I was. Hmm, that's, that's, yeah. But, you know, aside from the actual process of getting arrested after that that's that's about what i remember do you think any of it is like hiding in your subconscious maybe like you just trauma blocked it um i would really love to say yes and say yeah you know with with psychiatric help i could draw those memories out and this and that but I'll be completely honest with you. I, I, I've been a blackout drinker for most of my life. And the stuff that I've blacked out because I was drinking has never come back to me under any circumstances. Okay. So this so is just I, like uh, with any... It might be in there, but I, I doubt it. So you said you like where you black out like all the time. So that's just like any memory of for any incident you ever had. You just don't remember it. I can remember, uh, I can actually remember going over to hang out with her and meeting her parents for the first time. Uh, well, I remember part of the night anyway. I remember meeting her at work because I was already like three quarters of the way into a half gallon of vodka. Uh, I remember showing up at her work, well, outside her work, and uh, we met up and drove to the store and got another half gallon of vodka. And that's where I kind of blacked out. And I guess uh, I guess we were being pretty loud and pretty rambunctious in the house. And, and I got kind of aggressive and pulled the door off the hinges and yelled at her dad or something like that. And then I took off running through the woods. Well, the, the next day, uh, 
this would be early morning. We're talking like 5.30, 6 o'clock in the morning because the sun was just coming up. I came out of a blackout walking down the side of a, 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 two, a busy two-lane highway. Were you always an angry crazy. drinker? Sorry. Were you always an angry drinker? No, not always. Uh, it seems like... <laughs> it, it, I, I don't know exactly what it is. That there's, there's definitely something going on with me where I do get angry from time to time. It's definitely not every time. It's like one out of five times I get really angry. Uh, the other four times, I'm just kind of a happy-go-lucky kind of, you know, great guy to get drunk with. But that one time, that one time will will make you regret ever drinking with me. Something just triggers it. Yeah. Yeah, I could I could see that. Yeah, that's like I'm not much of a a drinker, <laughs> so I've I've never had like any blackouts or anything. Do you, does like um. Is any of like your mom or dad or anything a drinker or your siblings? Um, my my mom didn't really drink very much. Uh, she kind of waited until all the kids were you know at least close to eighteen before she started drinking again. And even then, it was you know she might have one cocktail, uh, you know maybe three nights a week. Uh, my dad was a little bit heavier of a drinker. Uh, he would uh, he would drink beer on a pretty regular basis and go to the bar and hang out with his friends, but he never had any incidents like I did either. So um, I don't think it's I don't think it's any one thing that runs in the family. Like uh, my little brothers, as far as I know, my my youngest brother, I don't I haven't really spent a whole lot of time uh, with him and around him uh, since he you know grew to drinking age. Uh, half of it's because I've been in here, and the other half is because I live on the other side of the country from him. Um, so I don't think he has any kind of a drinking or, or drug problem. Uh, and then there's my brother Tom, who was definitely an alcoholic, uh, but you know he would get drunk and want to go do drugs. He wasn't like a violent drunk, so a little bit different, a little bit the same, you know. Did you have any anger problems, like, in your sober life? Like, when you were sober, were you angry? Um, I think everybody gets angry from time to time. Uh, but, you know, when I'm sober, I deal with it in a completely different way than I do when I'm angry. Right. You know, when I'm sober, I can go, okay, you know, I, I got to look at this from both sides of this thing, you know, what's going on here, What what's my part in it, you know, I, I, I really try to be analytical about it, um, and I really try to resolve my anger the right way, <laughs> it doesn't always work out that way, but that's, you know, I try to, um, but when I'm drinking, there's none of that, there's, it's instant anger for, I mean, it could be something absolutely real. I've got friends to this day that will tell me straight up, you know, I have no idea why you went off on me that one night. Uh, just no clue. And of course, me being blacked out drunk, I, I had no idea either, so I can't I can't even tell them why. 
do you think like do you have like any mental health issues that you think could play a part in that oh absolutely yeah no i'm i'm, I'm currently uh being medicated for uh several mental health issues right now um and the medication's helping i'm, I'm doing really well uh there's a, a social anxiety disorder um all right, so there's the uh, there's the, the depression, which was classified as, as severe. That I, I I'm medicated for that. I'm medicated for the social anxiety disorder. Uh, I do not like being around groups of people if I can help it, which really sucks being in here because I'm constantly around big groups of people. Um, and then there's just the the, the general anxiety that I get. Uh, just kind of with everyday living. Um, I, I, and I know it doesn't sound like much, but when you compound that kind of stuff over time and it's not treated and you don't deal with it, it, it can it can manifest some, uh, some pretty gnarly stuff, apparently, when I'm drinking. Because that's the only time that kind of stuff ever comes out of me. Um. Yeah, untreated depression and stuff, I've heard that it can cause brain damage and things like that in a certain part of your brain. I, I believe it. Yeah, I, I, yeah. Um, going back to, you know, your crime and stuff, I know your case is kind of well known for, you know, you posting like her picture and everything. What was it for the 4chan? Do you, do you remember doing that, or is that something that's still kind of blocked out to you and from blacking out? No, I don't. I don't remember doing that at all. Um, which is kind of crazy because they have a. They showed during trial. They showed a video of me walking out of Walmart, which is, I guess, right before I, I posted those videos. I don't remember ever going into Walmart, let alone coming back out of Walmart. But I could tell just by the way that I was walking that I was really, really drunk. Oh, okay. So, because I know that's, like, that's one thing your case is really known for. And you said you got, what, 70, 74 years? Or is it 82? Uh, it was 82. Yeah, 82. 82 years. Yeah. Yeah, I, I have, uh, with good time, it's something like 74. Okay, that's where I was got the 74 at. Okay. Do you think, like, how did your trial, like, how long did all that take? Uh, my trial was kind of a mess, man. They, uh, my, my first lawyer that, that took the case ended up uh, accepting a job as the department head for uh, uh, the, the defense attorneys for my county. So he stepped off, off the case, and then somebody else stepped in. This is all uh, uh, pro bono uh, appointed lawyer, uh, state-appointed lawyers, uh, which means that I got... I got the short end of the stick the whole way around. But so my second lawyer was working on my case and was about a year into working on my case and he up and had a heart attack and ended up dying. So his second had to take over the case. So it was another uh, year and a half before we even went to trial. So the whole setup with, with everything leading up to it took forever and, uh, I, I mean, I, I believe that I got the short end of the stick. And, and the only reason I say that is not because, you know, 
I, I was there during trial. You know, I saw all the evidence presented, and I can honestly sit here and say that, yes, it, it, it sure looked like it was me that did this crime, you know? Yeah. And, and I can understand doing time for that. Uh, I, 100%, I can understand doing, you know, a, a large portion of years for that. Um, but 82 for something that I can't even remember doing seems excessive. I can agree with that. Do you, uh, well, did they actually try to, like, play that off, like, maybe saying you were faking the blackouts, or? Uh, yeah, of course they did. Yeah, I mean, that was the whole, uh, the whole prosecution, their, their whole case was built on that, on basically saying that there's no way I could have been in a blackout and, and planned out the, the night as it went. And, uh, <laughs> like, I, <laughs> all I can say is that the year that, I went on trial for this murder. The uh, um, alcoholism uh, as a mental illness, not as an addiction, but as a mental illness, went into the, uh, the, the mental health guidelines uh, that year. So the, the guidelines that they used to determine, you know, okay, what, what level is your depression? What level is your anxiety? Do you have social anxiety disorder? Are you uh, bipolar? You know, that kind of stuff. At what level are you there? The, the manual that they used for that, alcoholism got put into that manual for the first time ever. And it was completely ignored during the entire case. Like, the, the, the prosecution was fighting down the fact that, that severe alcoholism is in itself a mental illness. And the defense, you know, I mean, they tried. I'll, I'll give them credit. They definitely tried. Uh, my whole, my entire case was about mental illness and, and alcoholism. Uh, but uh, I guess the courts just aren't ready to, to deal with that kind of stuff. Yeah, I, I, could, I could see that. Like, them just kind of I think it's how society views everything too because I've been in active addiction and stuff like that and people are like, Fuck that, it's not a disease, it's your choice and yeah, yeah. all that, that way. Well, I mean they, they even presented evidence because at, at one point I, I I pawned a laptop and it took me I guess the, the pawn shop was almost a half a mile away from the grocery store that I went to. And from the time that, from the time of, of the receipt of me pawning the laptop, there was two minutes and 30 seconds from the time of me cashing out at the grocery store where I had bought a, a half gallon of vodka. So they, they basically used that to say that, you know, the drive to, to find more alcohol and drink more alcohol was so overpowering it, it overrode all other thought, which I, I can I can definitely attest to that. That has definitely happened multiple times throughout the course of my life. Um, how do you handle like where you can't drink now? How do you handle that? Does that bother you any? So it, it's kind of weird. Uh, have you ever done any jail time or anything like that? Nope. No. Okay. So. It's it's way easier to explain that way because if you're a smoker and you go to jail, you just 
kind of turn it off. You stop thinking about it because you don't have access to it, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, in the jails out here, anyway, I don't know I don't know how it is uh, in uh, West Virginia, but... Uh, so there's there's no access to alcohol here, and and it's, from what I understand, really difficult to produce, and they're on it anyway, so uh, it would be kind of ridiculous to try. Um, so no, the... I think the craving would only exist when I have like a legitimate road to get more. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, it was easily easily available for you, and you could get it whenever. Yeah. Yeah, yeah around here we yeah, just exactly. had a guy get arrested a few months ago because he was running drugs into the jail. He was a CO, and he got arrested for it because he got caught. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, if that happens on a regular basis, that happens all the time. Yeah, I'm trying to think. Yeah, there, uh, there's quite a bit of like shows sorry, and stuff. Say it again? Yeah, there's like quite a bit of shows and stuff. You know, I deal with prison that talks about that. I know, like I've been to like uh, the prison here, but it was for like the paranormal. You know, where I do paranormal stuff and things like that. It's about the only time I've been in a jail setting, but just listening to like their stories and stuff of like what inmates used to do or what was brought in, it really is fascinating. Oh yeah, I mean, I'm sure you got some good stories. There is, uh, if, if nothing else, inmates are are incredibly uh, smart about bringing stuff in and making stuff out of nothing. What's uh, one thing you've heard that's been kind of crazy that somebody has made out of nothing? Um. Uh, the first one that pops into my head is uh, uh, the show Mythbusters. They they did an episode a while back where they made a, a crossbow out of nothing but newspapers and the elastic band out of your uh, out of underwear. Wow, huh, that's that's interesting. I knew uh, <laughs> there is the uh, an old jail I went to in Kentucky, and um, the guy got out. I think it was two gentlemen, if I remember correctly, but they. He had like photographic memory, and so he carved the key out of like a bar of soap, I think, if I remember correctly. And then he had made a gun and dyed the gun out of like, you know, dyed it black, but it was, I think, a bar of soap as well. And the actual CEO thought it was a real gun, and that's how they got out of the prison. Nice. They end up catching. Yeah. They end up catching them, you know. But I think I'm pretty sure it was two guys. But this was like an old jail that was like built like the. 1800s i forgot when it actually shut down it's a bed and breakfast now but i actually stayed in the uh, jail cell parts and they had like a bunch of stuff up you know what people i think the actual gun that he had made was in there i forgot how he done it but yeah it was really interesting but yeah i was like could you imagine being the ceo and be like oh he would literally just got away with a bar of soap looked like a gun (laughs) no i i I definitely believe it they uh in, in certain prisons out here they won't let you have magazines with life-size guns or knives in them because you can cut the picture out and tape it to something that kind of closely resembles that shape and then all of a sudden it looks real yeah i can see that um going back with you like with um, your family and stuff i know you said like your dad and everything like is your family pretty supportive of you and keep up with you um you know, some of my family is, is really supportive. Uh, my dad, I, I stay in contact with my dad on a regular basis. Uh, we're honestly, we're closer now than I think we ever were um, before any of this happened, which is 
weird, but it's also really cool. Um, my uh, my youngest brother uh, won't have anything to do with me. Uh, my my middle brother is dead. He actually died two years after I after I, I got arrested. Um, oh, sorry to hear that. I've had a bunch of people I've had a bunch of people die since I got here, but um, really it's it's my aunt and my dad are, are the two main main family members that uh, that I stay in contact with. Do you have like any friends? Because I know like where I'm going at. Because you always talk to like a lot of people, and it's like you know once I got arrested, like my friends, family just abandoned me. You don't hear from anybody. So do you have any friends that uh, keep up with you? Like, oh yeah, no, definitely. Uh, uh, my my mother's best friend. Um, <laughs> when I was growing up, I, I stay in contact with her uh, on a regular basis, and my best friend growing up, I, I stay in contact with him too. Um, you know, obviously I'm not as close to anybody as I would like, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I mean, I still have, I still have, uh, a few people that, you know, have stuck with me, but it's a lot of people have fallen off and I'm not sure if it's completely just because of my crime or because uh, I'm no longer socially available if you know what I mean. That makes sense. Yeah, like, kind of like you always get that with, like, people that, like, job changes or they got kids and say their friend don't have kids, so it just seems like they kind of drift apart. So do, do you, like, uh, does any of them visit you and think and stuff? I've, uh, I've only had two visits the whole time I've been down since, uh, since 2014. Uh, my parents came to visit me, and my uh, aunt and uncle came to visit me. So I, I don't really, I don't really do the whole visit thing. Uh, most most of the people that would come and visit me live uh, on the East Coast, so it's kind of a kind of a big deal for them to get out here. Yeah, especially the way everything's jacked up on prices. <laughs> Inflation is crazy. Yeah. Does that affect commentary? What what's like the biggest price change you've seen on something you guys have to get? Um, we, we see it a lot on the, uh, the commissary list. Mm -hmm. Uh, everything is going up. I mean, we're talking, uh, from honey buns to, you know, regular hygiene, like soap and, and items like, like ibuprofen and that kind of thing. We've had price hikes, you know, over the last six months of, of, you know, $2 or more for individual items, but our pay has been the same since the 1990s. I still make 42 cents an hour right now. How many how many hours do you work? I work uh, six hours a day, uh, five days a week. I get paid once a month. Uh, if my hours total up to more than $55 a month, I'm just screwed out of those hours. The maximum I can make is $55 in a single month. Wow. Yeah, $55. That's, see, since gas has kind of went down out here, I think I can fill my vehicle up for 40 So, yeah, 55 bucks, for especially just in one month, yeah, you really can't get a whole lot on but that. We live out in the middle of nowhere, so we got to drive 100 yeah. miles to get anywhere. <laughs> 
been. I mean, everything that I I get costs the same as whatever you guys get on the streets. You know, if I if I want a box of, of ramen, I have to pay like seven bucks for it. Uh, but if I want a book, if I want to buy a book from a one of the magazine companies, you know, it still costs, you know, $20 for, for a regular book. So uh, between that store order and one book, that's not my whole month's pay. Right, it all costs the same as it does for us, but you're making way less money than everybody. Exactly. Yeah, it would make it rough. Uh, what's one thing, like, um, that you miss since being locked up? Pizza. <laughs> I've I've heard other people say that they can't get like I talked to one gentleman before and he had mentioned which he's actually in Washington as well but he said they used to have pizza until COVID and then they quit serving pizza yeah. so is it the same situation for you as well? Well, so they have uh, the the pizza that they serve on what's called Mainline here is terrible. It's not it's you can barely even call it pizza. Uh, it's basically cardboard with a little sauce and some baked cheese on top. Um, what we used to get is we used to get fundraisers where, you know, I would have the, the 55 on my, my spendable account and they would come through and ask everybody, you know, fill out this piece of paper. What do you want? You can order up to like four pizzas. And, you know, a month later after we paid for it, it would, we would get four cold $5 hot ready pizzas from Little Caesars or however many you ordered, you know, in a two liter of Coke. But uh, yeah, ever since, ever since COVID hit, they, they took all our fundraisers away. So uh, we're basically stuck with whatever's on commissary and whatever's on mainline and mainline food is horrible. So do you know if they plan to bring it back now that things are kind of settling down? You know, the, the DOC, uh, the Department of Corrections, is, is so horrible, first and foremost, about allowing anyone to have any type of input. We have 60 seconds remaining. They don't like to tell us anything. So, right. The DOC is really terrible about giving us information about anything. So even, even when we do get a little bit of information, mm -hmm. uh, half the time it's incorrect. So, do you guys so there's no really, there's no way for me to say we might get them back, we might not, because even if they say yeah, you'll get them back, they've changed stuff so much over the last couple of years, where you know they said yeah, you're going to get this, and then right before we're supposed to get it, they take it back. So there's really, I have no idea. So basically, just kind of up in the air, it might happen, it might not happen. Exactly, and and. Oh, I'll be honest. I don't think uh, I don't think they even know half the time what's going on. So, do you think that's on them or just people above them? See, it's really hard to say because I think I think the way it works here is is really messed up because everybody's a state employee, so everybody wants to be. Uh, wants to do the job in a way that they continue to be able to do the job. Uh, but they also don't want to ride anybody too hard above them because then it'll look bad and then they won't be able to keep their job. So it's, it's the whole thing is just a mess. Um, the, the, the people on top, like all the guys in, in the admins, um, 
None of them have ever stepped foot inside the prison, and if they have, they've done one tour, uh, you know, real quick of the living units, never even talked to any of the inmates, and uh, they're in and out in like an hour, and, you know, that's it for the next 10 years. I think I think things would be a lot different. I think our, our living situation would be a lot better if uh, some of the higher-ups would come in here and actually interact with some of us to find out what is working and what isn't working because there's there's a complete disconnect between you know how we actually live in the in the living units and how they think things are supposed to go in administration. Yeah, I could see that because um, where I used to work at before, like us doing security work, they never would like let us like they wouldn't get our opinion on things. Sometimes we they would, but then like if they'd be like, "Hey, you think this would be a good idea?" And we'd be like, "Oh yeah," or "You should try it this way." They would agree with us, and then when they talked to higher ups from the other, well, they came from Columbus, which is like three and a half hours away. But once they talked to them, they would basically be like, "No, we're not doing that," and then they would end up making it something way off the wall that does not really help us out at all, and just makes it hard on us. Like they had put in a, <coughs> excuse me a gate in our hallway and we try to tell them to move it up in front so you know we could go to the bathroom and everything they're like no you can just walk around the building they eventually once we complained enough they gave us a button so we could hit it and it would rotate till we could walk through it but yeah they were literally wanting us to walk around the building through the parking lot to go to the bathroom and then walk all the way back around and i'm like that does not help us at all so i could see you know like you saying they just kind of do their tour and just little things here and there just to make it look like they've been there and know what's going on. But really, and honestly, they don't have no clue at all. And like you were saying, in your case, you know, if they talk to you guys, you guys could probably tell them, hey, this is what we need or how things should work. But whether they would listen or not, it's hard to tell. They'd probably just be like most companies. We don't have the money to do it or something like that. Because they pocket it. Yeah, very possibility. Now they, uh, they they definitely like to do that kind of stuff. They, uh, yeah, I, I I will never understand it because uh, you know I, I I used to work construction. I used to see the the same thing, you know, on on the blueprints. You know, we we get blueprints handed down from the from the architects or the planners for ours, and they hand them to the to the to the planning guys who, who are actually supposed to start building this stuff and they realize real quick, you know, this is <laughs> some of the stuff that you drew up looks great on paper, but it is literally physically impossible in the real world. <laughs> and you would know that if you ever came down and swung a hammer. <laughs> and it's just, it, it's amazing because it, 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 it traverses all walks of life, you know? Yeah. So I, I think pretty much anywhere you are, if you're in if you're in the lower levels of something, you're gonna get screwed over by the higher ups. Because they don't they don't take the time to, to try and pay attention to that kind of stuff. Especially in the prison system too, like I know everybody just doesn't care and a lot of people don't think of people like that. I think like prisoners don't deserve stuff and like basic human needs. Now like child molesters and stuff i could see like yeah let them rot but like everybody else it should be about rehabilitation but uh, and, and you know that's that's the funny thing is because uh, the the place where where i currently live at is is called stafford creek corrections center it's not a penitentiary 
It's not a prison. And they go out of their way to remind us that this is not a penitentiary. This is not a prison. This is a correction center. Meaning that they're supposed to correct our behavior. Right. They want, they want everybody outside the prison to see that that's what this building is here for. It's for correcting the behavior of the criminals. But they don't do any of that. The, the programs that they have here are for people that are within uh, two to five years of getting out. So anybody else that has more time than that, they're just burnt. You're just stuck here doing nothing, making no progress, not making, uh, not trying to make yourself better. Like, like for me, for instance, I will never have access to those programs. That's unfair. I feel like. Yeah, that is messed up. I, I mean, I should at least be given the opportunity to better myself, right? Yeah, absolutely. Do you think so? Like, even if they didn't plan on releasing you, you still should have that option to do that. Yeah, Yeah, they they won't let me take any of the classes, and I've tried to sign up for them. Um, They just, you know, they, they keep telling me the same thing over and over. You have too much time. You have too much time, which is basically saying you're not worth it. You're not worth being better. That's is what it comes down to. Is that they can't mark me down in their little ledger that says, okay, we, we did good with this guy because right before he got out, we made sure he got all the classes that he needed. I'm just, I'm just stuck here to rock. Which I've always um, heard the term, though, too, like what you're saying, like they're not really doing anything for you all. Like I said, in your case, they just, you know, give you that excuse. But... I know a lot of people say they go to prison, they become better criminals, as all prison, well, places teach you, and that they don't really, like you said, they don't really help people, they don't correct anything. <coughs> Excuse well, me. I think, I think a lot of that depends on the type of person that you are when you come to prison. You know, it, 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 what it really comes down to is, is, were you a criminal before you came in? Because I wasn't. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, I... I had committed some crimes. I, I I have crimes on my record, but they weren't property crimes. I wasn't I wasn't breaking in and stealing anything. I wasn't stealing from people. I wasn't doing anything like that. Uh, I wasn't selling drugs. I wasn't you know I wasn't a pimp. I wasn't you know I, I didn't do any of those things. I just got drunk every once in a while and got into fights. That's what happened most often to me. So I wasn't really a criminal before I came in here. But I'm considered a criminal now, of course, because I'm doing felony prison time. How long it have seems you to me like there should be... I, I am more than willing to educate myself. I'm more than willing to try and better myself if I'm allowed to. And I think that's a big thing right there. Is is it, it, It's all individual... It's all based on the individual. Is this individual, what does he want? Does he want to keep going back out and commit crimes? Because if he does, then this is the perfect place to learn how to do that. Because you're going to learn how to be a better criminal in here, if that's what you set out to do. Mm -hmm. But if you set out to be a better person, if you set out to educate yourself, you 
you can do that too uh, if you're within five years of the gate. So it's conditional. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah, just because I know you always hear people, you know, they go in and then they come out and they're the same person. But like you said, it just depends on who that person is and what they're trying to do in there. Like in your case, say that I don't know how the law could ever change. We never do know how things will work. But say, because you've been in there since, what, 2014? Right. So say... In a couple of years, they say, hey, you know, your case is looked at differently. We're going to let you out, you know, in, in a few years. Do you think they would let you take the programs? And do you, you think you'd be all right in society? Do you, like, no threat? Cause I know a lot of people think, you know, once you go in prison, that it's always stuck to your name and there's no hope for you and you couldn't live, you know, out in the free world and all that. Do you think you could be fine and succeed? So that's, that's a really, uh, that's a really deep question. Um, it would worry me. It would concern me a lot because everything is really structured in here. For for as much as it's breaking down and for, for as much as it's unpredictable, it, it still is really structured. Um, I think I think if I had a really good support network out there uh, and I continued not only to take the classes in here, but to continue that type of work, like going to AA and and attending drug and alcohol classes and that sort of thing out there, then yes, I, I know I could make it work. Um, would I be nervous about it? Absolutely. But I, I definitely feel like I should be given that chance. You know, maybe not in two years, maybe, maybe in another 10, Maybe even another 15. Like, you know, like I said before, man, I, I am here for murder. You know, whether I can remember doing it or not, somebody died. Mm -hmm. uh, and I take full responsibility for that. And, and I wouldn't feel right to do less than, you know, 20 years before I would start feeling okay about even thinking about being released. I think that's really respectable, too, because a lot of guys will just be trying to get out of it, and you, like, acknowledge and take accountability and stuff. Well, it's, you know, I kind of, I guess I don't have to, but it, it, it feels like I, it feels like I do, you know? Right. Yeah, like, like in your situation, like, it probably, you know, like, I know you always hear people say that, too. Like, you know, it could happen to anybody, and it honestly can. Like, your situation could have been different, could have been avoided, you know. It could have been, like, things, like you said, you don't remember, even though they tried to use that against you and say, you know, you were lying about it. But it's still a situation I don't see your incident defining who you are as a person, if, you know, if you know what I mean. Right. No, I mean, I'm, I'm definitely not the person that I was that night. You know, that's that's one instance in one evening that that has defined, you know, the the, the course of the rest of my life. Um, but yeah, I don't I don't believe that it should either. Well would would you try to get back into uh, construction work if you did get out? Um, I'll be completely 
honest with you right now. If 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 I get out for for whatever reason, I would be happy to take whatever job could come my way. Um, you know, and, and clearly I would have to uh, clearly I would have to do something like that because people hiring felons out there it, it just doesn't work out very well for a lot of guys. Um, but yeah, I I think construction would probably be the best idea because I have the most experience with it. How long did you actually work construction tour? Um, well, when I, when I was real young, my parents, uh, they, they used to buy houses and we'd live in them for, you know, two to five years, sometimes a little longer, sometimes a little less, and we'd fix them up while, uh, while we were living there. So uh, I kind of had a crash course of that stuff when I was pretty young, but um, I've worked in, in construction for a good portion of my life. So it was like something that your dad kind of done and just kind of, like I said, passed yeah. down to you. Yeah, it was, uh, I, I think it was his, his idea of the best way to, to, to make money um, off of his own personal time and his own personal work because all the money that we put in and all the time and work that we put into each one of these houses, every house that we moved into was a little bit better than the house that we left. And we left every house a little bit better than when we got into it. So, yeah, yeah. it was it was pretty cool. Is he? Is he? Uh, what you see? You said you're forty one. So is he in his sixties or, or is he older? Yeah, he's in his sixties right now. Is he? Is he retired or does he still do stuff like that? No, he's well. He's retired from uh, from what his main job was. He worked at the. Uh, he worked at. at uh, one of the naval shipyards for, you know, most of his life, but it was the stuff that he did when he wasn't at work that is what I'm talking about. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. Which, which a trade like that is, is good because people's always hiring stuff like that. And it's good to have that type of knowledge, you know, if you're trying, like you said, trying to do just basic, you know, home stuff to improve, improve places that you live at and stuff like that. And which, Trying to think, was that when COVID first started? When like labor, I'm not labor, but lumber went up to like, oh, yeah, lumber was like outrageous. I'm trying to think when, I think it was like right when COVID started. It was like right in the middle of it, uh, in the beginning. I'm trying to think, it was like, what was it, like $300 and it went up to like, it seemed like a thousand for the <laughs> same type of stuff. And, like nobody was building wow. anything. Yeah, nobody was trying to hire anybody to build. Yeah, like people was always yeah, making, making the joke. From like, what I hear now, it's that everybody's trying to hire everybody and, and nobody wants to work. Uh, yeah, I think... Yeah, that's what I keep hearing on the news. Yeah, a lot of that does kind of... You got... Uh, best way to be... I'm guessing the best way to explain <laughs> it, it seems like where a lot of people was just getting... What was it, like $800? They're getting stimulus checks and unemployment and COVID pay and everything else. I know you're getting like, how much? it was quite a bit that people were getting if you're unemployed and where they were getting like extra, was it like 800 a week? Oh, okay. Yeah, they were getting quite a bit that of money. Sense. Yeah, they were getting quite a bit of money not working and so everybody just kind of lived off that and yeah, we got... We could live better than working. Yeah, you literally could. 40 hours. I'm thinking it was like $800 a week. And that's more than what a lot of people are making on a minimum wage job a week. 
But around here, I noticed, yeah. too, everywhere says that they're hiring, but I have quite a few friends and family members that have applied several different places and keep getting denied, so they must not be hurting too bad. It's, which nothing with the younger generation, but a lot of the younger generation kids, they don't really want to work either. Not. Well, a lot of people are doing their own shit, too, like making yeah. music, art, and they're making a hell of a good living off of it. Yeah, social media has really made it easy for people to, like, make their own content. Like, there's people, uh, like, do YouTube and stuff and just make whatever. And if they got a good following, like, they can make thousands, millions. There's, what, like, kids just opening other presents, making millions of dollars. Yeah, unboxing videos. Yeah. Our kids watch that shit. <laughs> Which I think when you were out, I don't think that was as big yet. Not quite You had 60 seconds remaining. No, I don't really remember much stuff uh, like that going on. That was our interview with convicted murderer David Kalak. Um, we got introduced to him by our friend Dakota. We have an episode with him as well if you guys want to check that out. This is his dear friend David. I uh, just want to shout him out for introducing us. Uh, I think it went pretty well. You have anything to say? Yeah, I start like I knew of David before when his crime and stuff was big. I don't realize it's that 2014, a long time ago. Willie was born. <laughs> yeah, like I knew of his case. For some reason I never wrote him. Like I know some people that wrote him. <coughs> uh, excuse me. Yeah, I'm surprised my voice didn't go out because when he called, like I was since I've got up. You're like hacking. Yeah, I've been like really bad off. Anyways, that's a whole lot better though. Um. Well, yeah, I have a friend, uh, she wrote him, I think, not too long after he got arrested and everything. So I've known of his case, but I don't know why I've never wrote him. But I've been talking to him most of this year, about, I think, March. I mean, I know it probably always sounds weird. We get on here like, oh, that's, that guy seems like a pretty good dude, and they're murderers and stuff. But, you know, like, shit happens. It could be anybody. I really, which it doesn't surprise me when he said that, that, uh... That was the whole prosecutor's case is right. saying that he was lying about it. But there are people like that. People, there is a lot of people that do lie about it, but I believe them. I mean. No, I'm just talking about being able to like black it out and actually being, like you said, high functional and all that. A high functioning addict, yeah. Like it happens. Like he said, it could be maybe mental illness tying into it and, uh, as well. I mean, I held a job in the worst of my addiction, so. Yeah. But. Yeah, I think he's a pretty respectable guy because he's like, you know, I don't think that I should get out now. He's like, I wouldn't feel. Well, he was saying, you yeah. know, he could, if he, even if he's ever like, which I don't agree with that. Like what he said, he's in a correction, correctional center, but he, so he's in there for 82 years. Like he was saying, that's where I got, I remember in his email, he said he could as early get out 74 years. That's that, that's still wait. That's six years. But I think that's respectable of him because a lot of people would be trying to fight it. Like, oh, fuck that. I shouldn't serve anything. I don't remember. But he's actually like, no, hey, there was solid evidence. Like, not saying I didn't do it. I just don't think I should serve this much time. Like, I agree with that. I mean, I think that's a good argument. Because 74, say that he got to 74 years. He's 41. He's 41. So, well, minus off eight years. So 66 years that he would have left. So, yeah, that put him over 100 years old. Yeah, he, he, he would die in there if he served full sentence. I hope they change their mind on it because he seems like a pretty good guy. I mean, which I, you know what I mean? Which I think in his case, um, 
I would, I would like, like what he said. If he has a good support system, which it seems like, you know, he's got family he's got and, stuff, and stuff. Yeah. You know, his best friends. I think, I don't think he would go down that path. But it is. Well, having access, though, you never know. That's what I found kind of interesting when he said that. Because, like, I see that. But I kind of wonder where people's always like, you know, killers, you know, how they stop killing when they go to prison. But I guess you could almost say that's, could you compare that? I don't think he really would be classified with the killer. Well, I, I mean, know. like, he did kill someone. Well, I know. Mean. That's not what I'm saying. I'm talking about, could you say that? When you're, when, like, a serial killer's in prison where they don't kill anymore, is that because it's not easily available? Uh, well, could you I compare think, it with the alcohol so. with him? I don't think so, because there's people around you. You could kill anybody at any moment. Well, a lot of serial killers kill women, though. That's what I'm saying. Like, oh, not. yeah. I mean, like, if you specified in women, <laughs> sure. Like, if you didn't feel like killing yeah. men, yeah, you're probably fine. <laughs> but unless you wanted to try to kill a CO, like, if you're in there for life anyway, a lot of lifers yeah. don't really give a shit, but... But I think, like I said, I think that he could be... I think he could be rehabilitated yeah. with the right resources. They should like still, They should still let him do that. That's Just in bullshit. case, like like I said, what if he does something does change? Well, you know some. <coughs> excuse me. You know some of the motherfuckers in there that has less time that don't want to better themselves or anything that's like you know qualifies for it. You know they ain't doing it. They got slots open. They can't fool me. This system's fucked. I hate. The well, they could just be doing it too. Just. Uh... Make it look good on paper, so when they do get out, and like he said, be the same type of person they came in. Well, yeah, but a lot of people may not even do it unless they have to, like if it's a part of their court order or something. A yeah, lot of people yeah. may not do it. I'm sure there's open slots. They can't tell me that. They're, I'm gonna go on a spiral. I better just stop. <laughs> <laughs> all right, uh, but we uh, thank you all for tuning in on this episode. I hope you enjoy it. <laughs> <laughs>